long national nightmare is over. The Drinkable Globe podcast is back from our hiatus of sorts. Uh, this is a new season. Yeah, why don't we call it that? I'll just call it a new season. I am your host, Jeff Cialetti, and I want to let you know before we get into today's episode that I've got a new book coming out. It's called Drink Like a Geek. It comes out on September 15th, and you can get it wherever fine books are sold. I've got some events coming up in Richmond and in LA, and a few more I'll be announcing shortly. And uh, speaking of long hiatuses, is that is that the right plural? Hiatuses, hiatus eye, whatever they call it. Today's guest is Jordan Wicker, who is coming back from a bit of a hiatus himself. He was the co-host of Speaking Easy podcast with Alex Luboff. They took a hiatus beginning at the end of 2017, and Jordan is looking to relaunch the podcast. It is a home bartending podcast that he will be relaunching as a solo podcast. Uh, but as of right now, uh, he hasn't relaunched it yet, but it should be happening soon. So let's go with this episode uh, with Jordan Wicker. <laughs> Jordan Wicker, what is going on with you? Well, uh, for for folks that um, have followed me in the past, uh, they know I've taken a long time off of the the podcast, Speaking Easy podcast. Uh, me and my co-host took a year uh, to to evaluate and kind of reevaluate our priorities. And uh, the, the podcast has always been a hobby, uh, just like drinking, just like cocktails. Um, well, podcasting and, is a hobby uh, for most yeah, people. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> no one's but, really making a living but, off of but, it. But, but going from a, a, a once a week uh, publication to a much less has, has taken some time. And uh, he's had a lot of uh, life success. That means that he's not going to be as involved uh, here going forward. But um, well, he also moved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he moved. There's, there's a geographic barrier now. Um, but uh, I mean, he is what, like four and a half hours away. Yeah. It's not that far. No, I mean, he could, he get could together every I mean, once in a while. He, he could drive up here on the weekends, and we could have a beautiful time. But uh. <laughs> no, but even you, even you said like he, yeah. he yeah. probably gets up to DC once a month. He yeah. could probably, I mean, if you really, yeah. if he really wanted to do it, I, you yeah. could, you guys can put a couple in the bank every yeah. time he's up yeah, here. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But. I think we've decided that I'm gonna I'm gonna lead the charge on on the second season and the first season was 107 episodes so um, we're taking the uh, I don't know the HBO tack of take a long time off before we put out new episodes. Yeah, but, but the, uh, the difference is HBO will do eight episodes and yeah. then take a long time uh, off. Right, right. You're talking 107. Um, that's like the that, that's like a season of the the 60s Batman the, show. That's the, how long to see the episodes for. And, and the magnitude of their budget is um, um, quite a bit larger than ours. Um, but um, but yeah, so did that, but I've stayed involved in uh, drinking culture and, and kind of side activities uh, throughout the year. I, uh, I was for the first time invited to be a whiskey judge at uh, World Whiskey Awards uh, this year. So um, got to taste through a lot of uh, American single malts and, and some other um, categories, but had a good time doing that. Really enjoyed interacting with a bunch of other people from different areas of industry that um, sit down at the table and like to spit a lot of whiskey. Um, so that was fun. I think American single malts are a, a category that I'm really excited to see. Yeah, to, to see come on um, recently, and and I think more so here in the near future. I think it's something. It's it's fun. It's somewhere that um, I think that and and rye are the two places where craft distillers can really innovate. I mean, I think everyone wants to make bourbon, but 
the big guys are making a great bourbon. You're, you're never going to outdo them, no matter right. how hard you, you try. You have to go different, not better. You have to go different, not better. So, yeah. But single malt essentially wasn't a category right. in the U.S. No. And, and rye... I think is better when it's younger. So it's, mm -hmm. you don't really have to wait as long. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I actually prefer to drink white dog rye more than to actually <laughs> aged rye because I want to, that, that's somewhere where I really want to taste the grain. I don't yeah. want barrel. Yeah. Yeah. You do. You, yeah. Every, I, yeah. You're right. Every year in a barrel for rye, you, you lose more and more of that, that very rye nature of the, yeah. of the distillate and it is something that i mean two years out can be maybe the best it's gonna get or i mean i, I say that but like there i've tasted plenty of two years yeah two year, that, two year rice good i mean i like fantastic that. and four year and, and and that sort of thing but um but yeah it's a uh, i'm excited about that I, I think that um the other area that i'm excited about and i think that i mean i think uh, drinks writers have been writing about um, leading up to this point for a really long time. I think my, maybe we're starting to hit a tipping point is uh, is brandy. Oh, thank uh, God. And, uh, and I have one of those drinks writers who's been writing about it. Yeah, I, I really, I really do. I think that I think that we're going to turn a corner here. I think, and I think part of it's going to be led by bartenders. Yeah. Um, similar to the way that like rye kind of rye and bourbon kind of got revivals. I think that. Th they've really started to see the value in having um, brandy on the menu. And uh, I, I, I personally like what I've tasted in, in, in American brandies, but uh, just the diversity of, of yeah. brandy that's out there now and, and continues to grow, I, I'm, I'm excited about. Um, I think that um, in terms of, I, d I mean, I don't know if it all happens all at once and we, we see this like, outpouring of the brandy market taking up market share or anything like that but I well, do I'm think worried we're gonna run out of fruit that's the problem it's <laughs> <laughs> a lot more grain than there is fruit yeah. that's that's a good point um, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about like if, if brandy really I, I just don't think that even if brandy took off in fantastic terms it's going to pressure the fruit market in any no 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 it's like it's not that it's just I, I just feel like um, oh, I thought you were worried about like going to going to Trader Joe's and not being able to get grapes for. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think. No, I don't think that that the brandy market is going to you know, uh, is going to hurt uh, the fruit market. Uh, it's the other way around. I think the fact is there's just not enough. I mean, since fruit's incredibly seasonal, mm -hmm. I mean, there just isn't enough, and it takes so much. I mean, I I, I say this because I I did an article on it. It's not like something I've always known. I've known this for like six months but <laughs> it's it, it takes something i can't remember what the number was but i was talking to um a distiller a brandy distiller in in portland we're talking about how much easier it is to make a barrel of whiskey versus a barrel of brandy now whiskey you've got the time element to deal with the mm -hmm. aging but that's the hardest part and that's mm -hmm. what the that's the biggest hit to your profit profitability is waiting for it to age. Right. But to actually make it, I think it's, it takes something like, I don't know, 500, 500 to 600 pounds of grain to make a barrel of whiskey. It takes something like eight to 10,000 
pounds of fruit to make the same volume oh, wow. of brandy. And you got to think of the logistics behind that, yeah. the trucks, everything. And it's just, that, that is, that is a scale that I hadn't really thought about is like the input, just the magnitude of inputs that go into it. And um, it is, and it is um, the seasonability factor yeah. too, because you've got, I mean, most of the grain that's oh. the reason why whiskey became a thing is because, you know, there's really no great fruit grown in Scotland, you know, right. it's just that you can grow barley in really crappy weather conditions. And the same mm -hmm. thing with rye, rye is an incredibly resilient mm -hmm. grain that, you know, you don't have to worry about like, like a, like for instance, you want to make peach brandy. Peach brandy is probably harder than apple brandy. Apple brandy, you've got a little larger window on apple season, but peach season, you, got, you basically have yeah. like two weeks. That's like, yeah. Huh. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about the production side of it. I just have been really thinking about the drink side of it, and um, I think I think it's I think it's it's due for its day now. I think it. Oh yeah, I, no, I'm, and, I'm and loving it, it. And again, I think it's been built. It's been building toward. It's not like it's all going to happen all at once, but it'll never okay, be as big um, as whiskey. Uh, I don't think I, I don't, it's, it's going to grow, but it's it's again for the, the reasons I, that I, I said. Don't, I don't think so, just because the foundation, but also because the foundation for whiskey was so much broader too, like. It's it's one thing to have a bunch of upstart whiskey brands, but you always know you have this like foundation of people. You have grandpas and dads who all drink whiskey. Like they have their brands. So there's some of its brand loyalty. Yeah. Some, some of it's just the fact that that's what the supply side is giving you. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know if you get to to the same sort of scale at this point organically mm. um, from from essentially. I mean, not zero, but near zero in relative terms to whiskey and, and everything else and but I, I definitely think it's especially for craft i think i think it's a a, a market that should and i i want I, I i'm i'm doing my own advocacy here i want it to be a market for craft especially american craft but to really develop i i really want it to be kind of a, a shining star of craft because i think that in the end when when some of these craft distilleries do um kind of phase out or, or wash out like a lot of it will probably be a lot of whiskey brands that might have been perfectly all right whiskey brands they just couldn't get to scale or they yeah or, or they just again they didn't have a succession plan for the talent they had at the distillery or or maybe it was just bad whiskey but like well, that, there's um, that too I mean, but but I, I think that i mean again with a much more open market if there's growth you have a lot more potential for a lot more of a like sudden and early variety and, and, and hopefully you could get distribution just far enough that the average bartender could, could know the difference between something that's made in New England and something that's made in you know, Pacific Northwest or, or something like that. That'd be, I mean, I'd, that'd be kind of in my head, like the ideal world where you've kind of got um, even regional profiles on, on some of these brandies. Well, there's something to be said for for locality in this stuff. I mean, I think in the same way that, again, back to the beer thing, people are now any brewery that's opening up has to just, if they think they're going to be the next Dogfish Head, they're, they're delusional. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think there are any new regional breweries opening up right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's still hundreds of new breweries opening up every year, but they have to be focusing on their local market mm -hmm. and they're going to thrive if they serve their local market, maybe a couple States around them. Um, but being the hometown brewery is what they should really be striving for. I think that there's a real opportunity there 
in spirits, particularly brandy. Mm -hmm. um, and you look at someone like, um, what's his name, Gable Lorenzo, you know, um, Ralph's son. Mm, yeah, okay. Uh, he started, you know, because he was, he was with um, uh, Tuttletown for a while, but then he went and started his own brandy distillery and in um in the same town garden new york um mainly because he he was working as essentially a brand ambassador after the the acquisition um but he was just tired of traveling he's got a family now mm -hmm. and he just wants he wanted to be closer to home so he opened a really small uh fruit brandy distillery that most of what he sells you have to buy it at the distillery and that's all he wants to be and i think i think there's a real opportunity there particularly in areas where particularly in areas that are known for a particular type of fruit for mm -hmm. instance i could see the pacific northwest being like a marionberry brandy area or something like right. that you know right, right right and i think that i mean the the tough thing is i mean some of these folks start breweries distilleries whatever because they do they, they do want to get to a certain scale and sell and, and, and walk away and know they can retire and drink other people's stuff and not worry about their own. And, yeah. Um, but I think other folks, I mean, I think that there's, there's a mentality there where there are plenty of small breweries, small wineries, small distilleries out there that are going to be happy with their niche. Yeah. And if, if, and if they can consistently produce good quality stuff, they don't necessarily need to go to giant scales mm -hmm. um, and uh, like really instead of growth model dividend model kind of thing and then they're they're putting money either back into the community doing other things or they're putting money into themselves and, and getting better equipment or, or, or whatever and and that's that's fine and I, I like that I like that model and again I that's kind of where if craft is going to continue to exist and in a big way and in any of these markets and, and not just be owned by mm -hmm. craft owned by whoever, then, then I think that those niches are, are going to have to have to continue. They're going to have to be like, it's going to be the, the fact that you can walk down the street and you can go to any restaurant downtown in some small burg and, and say, Oh, like I'm buying a drink made with the local stuff. Well, um, so we we're talking about Brandy. Are you an Applejack fan? I'm sparingly. <laughs> Sparing. Um, have you had their their bottle and bond? Because I know that's a thing. Uh, I I have. Um, I I like it all right. I maybe part of it's just the fact that I don't have it on hand very often. Oh. Um, and so I just haven't. Like a lot of how I drink is cocktails, oh, unless yeah. unless it's whiskey, and then I'm it's mostly neat. But um, I, I drink Applejack neat though. I've, oh, I've discovered you? that's become one of my. Because my parents had a bottle of it, they're not, they don't really have good booze, but mm -hmm. it's New Jersey, so I guess you can <laughs> get Applejack pretty easily, and so they had it, and I decided to have that as sort of a digestif, and I was like, wow, this is actually just good on its own. Oh, interesting. I'll have to try. I, I don't think I have any. I don't think I have any apple brandy. I actually had to buy. I had to buy a, a pint of brandy at the liquor store the other day just because there was a cocktail I wanted. And it's my like my neighborhood store, and mm. usually they have plenty of fifths. And for whatever reason, they've turned their entire brandy selection into pints. So I was like, all right, I'm buying a pint. Really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I 
I didn't want to discuss it with him. <laughs> I, I might when I go back in the next time, but that's like that's what winos drink. Yeah, well, well, that's the thing is like I'm like you're you're essentially just turning this into a brown bag. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like this is Brandy this doesn't is, get any respect. Um, but um, yeah, I was a little disappointed. But uh, yeah, I I think that part of it's just I like I I made I for a while I made a couple different Applejack cocktails. Uh, Jack Rose being uh, uh, one of those, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I like that quite a bit. But that also means I'm making my own grenadine because, mm-hmm. and I only do that every every couple months. So, um, I, I think that in terms of the cocktails that I found that I liked it with. But maybe if I start drinking it neat, it won't matter. Uh, no, it, it is. Yeah. It's something to be said for neat, or, or you know, uh, one cube is good. It's just sort of, mm-hmm. it's it's good. It's a desserty kind of drink, and I, I yeah. enjoy it a lot. Um, well, that's a uh, that's actually interesting. I uh, one of my one of my roommates uh, spent the holidays or part of the holidays in in Italy and came back with a bottle of grappa, um, and it was but it's an aged grappa or lightly. Oh aged yeah, grappa. no, and, it's a thing now. And and honestly, to me, it tastes like really bright, fresh, more alcoholic white wine, <laughs> um, which. Surprisingly, for me, it was more like a. It almost tasted like a nice wine, yeah, um, like it's kind of a desserty sweet. Um, and uh, it, for anybody who listened to the Speaking Easy podcast, you knew that we never covered grappa because Alex had nightmares about it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I never, I never had a reason to like go research it and and, and make stuff with it. But uh, um, I. I'm certainly a fan of the drink. I don't know if I'll make cocktails with it. I think I'll put it over ice in the summer and. Uh, <laughs> And make it easy, easy sipping. I, I did a grappa tour last year in in Italy. Um, it was a press tour, and I mean, I was just blown away by the stuff because I've only had really bad grappa, but and probably the same stuff that was giving Alex nightmares. Yeah, probably. But there's really, <laughs> really good stuff being made by these family-owned distilleries. Some of them are also wineries, uh, but a lot of them are just distilleries and. I mean, aged grappa is a relatively new concept. Like 20 years ago, it was unheard of. Mm-hmm. But there are some distilleries that started seeing it coming, so they started putting some of their stuff in barrels. And I actually had one. One place opened their distillery in 97, and I had their 20-year-old oh, wow. grappa. That's, that's fantastic. Just curious. I'm assuming they're just aging it in wine barrels or... Mostly, but also I think a lot of them were doing a lot of like ex-bourbon and stuff like that oh, too. Oh, yeah, okay. so yeah. And, 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 and sherry ca- casks and whatnot, whatever they get their hands on. But I mean, they were doing different finishes just like you would whiskey. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, wine barrels, obviously, probably I, most I would, of them were wine barrels. But I mean, again, in my limited experience, it seems like a fairly delicate spirit, and I'd be worried about putting it in something, especially something that maybe came from the Scotch world, where it's already it's already coming as a secondhand barrel. Yeah, and, yeah. And and you've got something that's got bourbon or or rye in it, then then Scotch, and then uh, or, or or even rum, like. But then they can use bourbon barrel as a marketing thing. That's the other thing because just because you can't put bourbon on your label any other way if you're outside the the United States. Bourbon finished. Yeah. uh, Okay. Yeah, that's that's a good point. But I can't remember which, if any of them, were actually doing bourbon barrels. But I remember they were doing other things other than just wine barrels. And it's insane the way 
um, the laws around this stuff. It's sort of similar to bottling and bond, but it's like they can't even open their barrel room without mm. somebody from the government coming and being there and opening it for well, them. Well, it is Italy. Um. <laughs> yeah, so it's like seriously insane. Like, growing, like one of the places, like, sorry, we can't, we can't show you our barrel room today because today's not the day that the government person comes. Usually they would come like twice a week. Mm. So they weren't there that day. One of the places planned ahead because they knew we were coming okay. and they made sure they called the government person so we can get into their barrel room. Okay. But other than that, it's like they've got these little seals over every little seam on the still and where it's like you can't do it like you have to put it on there when I can't remember if it was like at the start of the distilling season or at the end of the distilling season it's like you can't do anything without the government's approval there it's insane mm. but it, it maintains the quality it's a yeah. little, little fascistic but yeah no. like you said it is Italy but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah no they, they need those jobs um but I, I, again, new introduction for me. Like I'm, I don't know how much exploring I'm gonna do of it. But it, I mean, it's certainly something. Again, for me, it struck it struck me this summer. I was like, oh, I could yeah. I could put I could put a lot of things with this, and or, or just put it on the rocks and, and um, uh, something that I saw recently in a couple articles is the the coming age or the coming season of um, Aperol Frosé and. Uh, so like the combination of like uh, rosé, aperol, slushy, essentially. Oh wow! Um, and for this being, I mean, that DC, sounds refreshing. D I think DC might be the largest rosé consumption market. I mean, I'm gonna say in the world just because I don't know better, and I I can make that kind of outlandish statement. But it, it's it, it is noted that like there's more rosé consumed here than I think most other places. And I'm like, okay, well, we're certainly gonna be seeing those here. Um, when when the temperature hits a hundred degrees in, in July or August, but I'm getting some static on here. So I just oh. took my oh. phone off. I, I think it's gone now. I don't think it's, yeah, I think that's it. All right. I think we're just getting a little feedback from the phone. But but I I, I know too that I'm gonna have to figure out a way to make those because my girlfriend's gonna want to know how to get an aperol rosé. Um, with and I'm gonna have to figure out how to do that without renting a slushy machine. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but well, I'm sure I'm sure there was plenty of research and drinking to be done to figure that one out. What was I seeing recently? Somebody um, had to make some sort of ice thing like without, without having a slushy machine. I've got I've got some tricks for like decent uh, or or good um, like frozen margaritas. I I prefer a classic non-frozen margarita, yeah, yeah. but uh, and a daiquiri, um, uh, and I'm sure I can tinker with that um the to be honest i'm not sure total quantity or total volume wise what it, it, i'm assuming the abv on a aperol wine is it's probably less but i don't, I don't know that um, but it's tough to get that like really fine like liquidy ice yeah and yeah not just kind of like chunky um, um i don't know you've got like it's almost it sounds almost like a crappy tiki drink <laughs> yeah. where you've got shredded ice and there's a time and place for yeah, everything but, but uh so what are your favorite places to drink in dc i mean i know you're more of a home cocktail guy I, but you know I, I i certainly have been making more at home recently than like and i go in spurts but uh a couple places um that i mean come to mind as very current for me 
copycat has been a longtime favorite on on h street in the northeast um and just does just does the classics really well and they have the they have one of the my favorite menus of all time where they kind of just lay out like what a sour is and then give you the options and then what like a like a negroni is and like the options and an old-fashioned and the like so like you can go in there and you know you can order a mezcal old-fashioned and you know kind of what you're gonna get yeah um, you can order a white negroni and know that you're gonna get that um, and then they also just have bartenders that are really uh, knowledgeable and you can just say hey like didn't see anything on the menu don't know exactly what I'm asking for but this is like this is the base and this is the flavor profile and, and they hit it out of the park um, the other one is a uh, uh, Morris American bar and it's tucked into the side of the convention center oh really over, uh, yeah um, so it's across the street from where the original passenger used to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and there's just like a little like storefront thing in the convention center there. And it's very like 1950s aesthetic, and they've always got great jazz playing. But um, uh, they're the folks that did uh, Shepherd, um, the speakeasy that we went to after oh, uh, came yeah. books yeah so yeah it's those folks th th those guys um their permanent spot is morris american bar and unfortunately the shepherd is is near its end if not already hit its end they they were on a like a short-term lease until the financing for renovating that crappy building that they were hidden in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> came through and i think that's finally come through so they're they're out in it i haven't heard specifically but i think they're going to try to move shepherd somewhere else but if not, you know you can get the same atmosphere and 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 quality of drink over it. And again, the the space is the the, the space is kind of interesting because it is it's tucked into this concrete behemoth of a building. But it, once you walk inside, it's it feels it feels comfortable and it's nice. Um, so those are probably the two that come to mind the quickest. Um, now what about outside of DC, like places like, for instance, uh, you get to Kentucky a bit. So, um, so if I get to Kentucky, I'm mostly drinking out of the kitchen. Um, <laughs> I, uh, um, I I can't say that I know. I I, I could name places that I know are good based on on other. Um, but I I was just recently uh, in New York. Um, last fall and did death and company for the first time oh and, yeah and i mean they just i've been I there mean, once they they knocked it out of the park um i thought that was i mean we were there we were there until they told us we had to leave um yeah they do and, that um, <laughs> <laughs> um but uh it was great and then did you get were you able to get into pdt or no um uh we did not get into PDT. i've never PDT. been inside i, was, I tried so many um, times and i we well, I, I really went up there as a, as a quick weekend trip and really hadn't, I mean, kind of on a whim, too. So we were just kind of piecing stuff together. And we tried to go to PDT before dinner, before Death and Company. Um, and, of course, we couldn't, of course we couldn't get in. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I mean, obviously Death and Company is no secret, but, man, it's, it's worth it. I thought it, was, I thought it was really great. Yeah, um, no, it's a great vibe, um, too. Another place, um, oh, uh, Three Dots and a Dash uh -huh, um, yes. in Chicago. I, I um, introduced her to it, and um, we were there in December. Okay. Three yeah. Dots and a Dash. The 
the speakeasy. Don't the speakeasy. People who are listening don't know that I'm here. Craig's here. <laughs> Special <laughs> guest. It's fine. These are fun little spontaneous <laughs> moments. Um, you probably can't hear because the yeah. lavalier is not there. But mm. I introduced my wife Craig to Three Dots and a Dash over, and they actually had like a Christmas menu. So they, okay. I got a Rudolph cup. Oh, all right. Yeah, no, we, I, we were there uh, in September, October, I think, and that was the first time I'd been. So, fun time. Um, dropped in there. It was a like a misty Chicago afternoon, and we were again kind of a a haphazard weekend of random Chicago things, mm -hmm. and uh, had some time to kill. So, ran up there. I think before before late lunch so we weren't there it wasn't like we were there at 11 drinking cocktails we were there at like 12 30 drinking cocktails and then we <laughs> makes a big difference yeah <laughs> afternoon is kind of important uh trying well to be it's, it's trying to be trying to 11 be is still noon on the east coast yeah so. i guess you're right, guess um, you're right. so what, what about you're you're from indiana right do you yeah do um, you get back there a bunch and do you have places so, you go there so i, I do. Or do people just expect you to make drinks for them when you're back so when i'm in indiana it's a these days a lot of it's work um so and it's drive like it's flying in and out and it's um i don't get as much time to explore like indianapolis as i should and indianapolis is just kind of booming on on this and i'm gonna there was a cocktail bar that i went to there that i'm i'm going to blank on i'm not gonna remember That's the name right. of it but then um uh then uh, went to school in Bloomington and had had a, have a lot of family around that area. Um, have made a regular stop at Cardinal Spirits. Mm. Um, oh there. yeah, I know. Um, I know of them. I um, so they have they're really well regarded. For, they've got a vodka that's really fantastic. Mm. I I don't drink a lot of vodka, so I <laughs> I, I, I usually yeah somebody's yeah. drinking it because yeah, it's I mean the biggest they, category. Um, they also have a really good um, their um, Paragen um, is has gotten really high marks and I, I like it quite a bit. I actually have a bottle of it on, on my shelf. And they didn't get a cease um, and desist from St. George for um, calling it Terra. It's awfully <laughs> close to terroir. Yeah, no, um, I, I guess they haven't and maybe they will now. Maybe they will uh, now. Sorry guys. Um, but then they also, because of Indiana state laws, they have to make just about every modifier that they put in a drink that, so any modifier that's alcoholic based, so they can't just put, Campari on the shelf and, and serve that at the at the distillery site, which has a like a restaurant and that sort of thing. So um, they've actually done a Nocino uh, that I I've had in the past. I don't think I have it now. They've got a triple sec that um, I've got a uh, a bottle of around here somewhere. Uh, That's then, cool though. Um, it kind of forces them to be creative. Uh, it forces them to be creative, and um, they've they've come up with some interesting profiles, and they've uh, obviously because you're getting a cot when you're there you're getting a cocktail that you really can't replicate anywhere else yeah, true. Be unless unless somebody's buying your the cardinal spirits entire portfolio of, of things it's 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 neat to kind of have that experimentation right there in front of you um they they've had a blackberry liqueur and um what else have i uh, a, a coffee liqueur uh, the coffee liqueur is actually i think it, a few things get distributed in new york and supposedly out here, I haven't seen them yet out here, but um, I think their their coffee liqueur is is supposed to be out here, and their Nocino is supposed to be out here. In New York, the Terragen is, mm. and I can't remember. I think the I think the coffee liqueur, and I I don't know what else, but 
Um, so I, I drop in there quite a bit. There's also like, I mean, Bloomington is my college town. Like I go to the vid, uh, short for the video saloon. It's the great darts bar and I'm, uh, I'm drinking cheap beer there, but, uh, <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's, that's what you do in college towns. Um, yeah. Um, uh, very great nostalgic spot, but, uh, but I'm, I'm not drinking cocktails there. Um, but, uh, so, um, let's wrap things up a little yeah. bit, talk a little bit, just, uh, what can we expect from speaking easy when you're relaunching and how often is it going to be? Is it so some, some good questions, um, because my co-host Alex is, has retired, um, or is emeritus host. The, the dearly um, departed Alex um, Lubach. Um, he, I'm sure he will turn into a regular reoccurrence on, on the show going forward, but he, um, he has begged me not for homework uh, in, in the near future. Um, I gotta get down to Durham and have yeah, him on this yeah. show. Just um, to yeah, get yeah, his yeah, side yeah. of the story. <laughs> um, uh, no, this is all this is all h- h- him choosing, and I mean, this is me choosing to continue forward. Oh, without, somebody with, should. With, I mean, I, the I kind of was bummed when you guys um, took your hiatus. So. Generally speaking, people really, really appreciated the 25 to 30 minute, 35 minute episode. Um, I'm probably going to try to bring that, that the 20 to 30 minute episode back um, in a more regular format um, because I will be mostly alone on the host side of things. Yeah. Uh, my idea is that I, I will have to have at least one interview um, during the show, so a little bit more segmented um, uh, than than it has been in the past, and of course, like I think one thing that our listeners always appreciated the most was the fact that we would just talk through recipes every show, uh, new cocktails that we either made ourselves or had had somewhere else and recreated, and or just looked up on any number of the the resources online or in our our libraries or whatever. But so definitely going to keep those as components. Like I said, going to try to hit that like thirty minute commute sort of yeah. uh, window um, and uh, and then try to bring in bartenders and industry folks from the full spectrum and for 10, 15 minute conversations and, and go from there. Uh, hopefully that works well and hopefully folks like it. I'm going to be open to modifications and suggestions along the way. So where can they find it on social media? And so that's actually a good point and it's something that I've just recently kind of told um, the Facebook audience, uh, we are, we used to have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We've got the blog, the blog's still there at speakingeasypodcast.com. Instagram is going to hang around. Um, so at speakingeasypodcast, we have already terminated Twitter, so don't look for us there. And we are in the process of hopefully shortly after the release of the first new episode, uh, terminating Facebook. Um, we were Facebook not, deserves to be terminated. We, we were not particularly good at maintaining the Twitter and the Facebook to begin with. And uh, I just don't want to... Part of it's not wanting to deal with it. The other part is like the high, like the philosophical, philosopher king kind of component of like, I'm just, I don't, I'm skeptical of social media and I'm skeptical of the health of people who spend too much time on it. <laughs> and, and that includes me and the people that I'm trying to, to, to find as listeners. And 
it's certainly going to restrict us marketing wise and, and getting the word out wise. But I think it for me doing it, um, it's certainly going to be better for my mental health. And um, I think that hopefully word of mouth and blog posts and everything else will, will and, and finding interview audiences that um, can grow that way will, will be great. But it's a hobby. It's, I want it to stay fun, and part mm. of it staying fun is taking it off of Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, uh, you have like two years worth of oh. episodes, like people just discovering so, the podcast. You can listen so, to two years worth of stuff. You subscribe it at all the regular yeah, places. Yeah, so that's, that, 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 that's absolutely right. We have 107 episodes currently. So if you're just discovering Speaking Easy podcast now, you have plenty of listening to me and Alex. Uh, rant and bicker uh, at each other for for quite a while before you even catch up to new stuff uh, and and a lot of that is ever um, the vast majority of our episodes are very evergreen or or reoccurring they're seasonal um, and and so hopefully you can enjoy that stuff while you wait for new new shows you ask um, frequency I'm hoping for once a month starting out and we'll we'll go from there that's sensible yeah Especially if you're doing it alone. Yeah, uh, we'll start with once a month as the hope and dream, and then as that gets comfortable, we'll we'll see how it goes. As all the ad money starts rolling in, then you're right, right. <laughs> uh, then then I'll have the pressure per episode to to to. It'll be an 18 episode a month uh, show, and <laughs> no, that's never gonna happen. But uh, oh, we're getting yeah. a low battery warning. All right, here. all right. Well, that's that, that's a good that's, <laughs> that's a good cue to be played off the stage. Uh, and as for me, you can find me at all the regular places: Jeff Cialetti on Twitter, Drinkable Globe on Instagram. Uh, and remember, the world is out there. Drink it up. The Drinkable.